everyone here this morning, no matter what age, what gender, what socioeconomic background you might have, everyone here today is at war. This war is not one that can be won by a person or even a country that has the biggest gun. This war takes place in our hearts, in our minds. We are at war with our greatest oppressor, our greatest accuser, and that is sin. The fight for us to move God out of our lives to make way for our sinful desires. Now, we're good church folks here this morning. We would say where, the, where God said in the Ten Commandments that there shall be no idols before him, we wouldn't be brazen enough to say that we have idols, would we? But there are things in our lives that take precedence sometimes over what God has for us to do. And I'd like to put a bow around it and make it pretty, but it's called sin. When we put ourselves on the throne of our lives that God has intended for himself. And we all are at war. How do I know this? Because number one, just like you, I am a human. Number two, Paul himself, one of the most spiritual men of the Bible, says in Romans 7.23, he says, But I see a different law in the parts of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and taking me prisoner to the law of sin in the parts of my body. Even Paul struggled with sin. In Ephesians 6.12, he talks about the war where he says, For our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities and against the world powers of this darkness, against the spiritual forces that of evil and in the heavens. Well, our culture, you know, we have many of you in here are from what they call the greatest generation. Uh, you have been through things like the Depression. You have been through wars and you know what it's like to have a lot. You know what it's like not to have a lot. I know I say this often, but one of the benefits of having people that are older in your church is that you can learn some from history because you're looking at history. If you, if you just, younger folks, if you just take time to listen to some of our older, wiser folks, then we could probably learn a lot because most of us that are younger, we probably uh, have a hard time holding on to money and living from paycheck to paycheck, but some of our older folks, they know exactly how to hold on to a dollar because they know what it was like not to have one. But over the years, there has become an unhealthy shift in culture. For our older generation, if you had a problem, you dealt with it. But yet in this generation, we have a new attitude. The new attitude of not let's take responsibility, but let's change responsibility. And when adversity comes in our lives, instead of persevering through that, we want to blame someone else for it. When we have been wronged or abused, we now consider ourselves the victims it is never our fault. It is always somebody else's fault. Whatever happened is no longer our fault. But almost all people at one point or another are treated unfairly. But not everyone recovers from the mistreatment in the same way. Some individuals, some people allow the hurts in their lives to manifest in their life. And that becomes the only thing that they can hold on to. And then these negative excuses or these negative events become the excuses for their irresponsible behavior. For example, if someone says, someone you know says, I don't go to church because of so-and-so. 
or because this happened. Well, okay, I understand. Whatever happened to that individual, they probably should not have done whatever that was. But if that's the excuse that someone is going to take for being out of fellowship with God and his people, that is an excuse. And they play the victim card. Too many times we want to say, why me, instead of saying, God, why have you allowed this? But when you take the word victory, the the prefix of the word V-I-C-T, vict, that means to conquer. So a victim is one who is conquered. A victor is one who conquers. Well, what I want us to see is that there are times in our lives to where when we have things that happen to us. Now, I, listen, I know that when, when you do a message like this, there are some of you in here or if someone's listening by way of our Internet broadcast or whatever we do, that there's going to be people in here that say, Preacher, you don't understand my life. You don't understand what's happened to me. Well, you're right. I don't know what everything has happened to everyone in this room. But I do know this. The Holy Spirit does. And there are things that happen to us either because we have caused them or because God has allowed them. But when we are victimized, I'm not talking about, uh, you know, like if someone was robbed or something like that. I'm talking about the war, again, that we are all in. We are all victimized by sin. And I want to share with you Three, what I call three victimizers. Three things that will make you feel like you are a victim. And the first thing is called the blame game. The blame game. And the blame game is when we have sin in our lives and the feelings of guilt and shame ruin our lives. I think if you hit the space bar again, Trista. There we go. The blame game is the first one. Is that... We always want to blame either ourselves or others for what has happened in our lives. That's only natural. Something happens to our life. Whose fault is it? Who can I pin this on? Well, the second thing we see is not only the blame game, but the approval trap. The approval trap is a sense or an obligation that everyone wants you to be a certain way. Listen, I'm a nice guy, and one of my biggest strengths is that I have a big heart for people. Some of you in here are just like that. You ever heard the term, your, your greatest strength is also your greatest weakness? Think about that in your life. Some of your strengths, some of you might be able to be very uh, vocal about, you know, and tell people what you think. But yet at the same time, that might be a weakness. For me, I have a strong heart, and sometimes... With having a strong heart, I lead by the heart, and sometimes that causes hurt to happen. But you know what? We all have got strengths. We've all got weaknesses. And, and from a side note, we've been talking about it Sunday night, about the body of Christ out of the book of Ephesians. And that what, that's what makes the church so beautiful. My strengths are not your strengths. But yet when we come together, we can be unstoppable. Because we are the body of Christ. Amen? Okay, a few of us believe it. We are the body of Christ, amen? Thank you. Well, with the approval trap is that we become so self-focused, it's not about us as a body, but me as an individual. What can I do to earn somebody else's approval? Maybe we call it peer pressure. Maybe we call it trying to fit in. Maybe we call, you know, when you're in that situation where God is telling you not to act some way, not to do some certain action, but you just want to be like everybody else. 
Who wants to be like everybody else? Of course we all do. I mean, we don't really want to stick out. We want to be friends with everybody, do we not? But folks, if we are friends with this world, we are an enemy of God. And if we are a friend of God, we are an enemy of this world. We cannot make everybody happy all the time. And you cannot make yourself happy all the time. The world is filled with happiness. It's filled with sorrow. And the thing is, is that when things happen in our life, we can do one of a few things. We can laugh about it. We can cry about it, but it doesn't change the fact that it's happened. And at the end of the day, we have to trust God. But yet we want to blame other people for the sin that we carry in our lives. Or maybe we want to blame the fact that we want to fit in with everybody. We're trying to seek everybody's approval. And the third victimizer we see is the performance trap. That's when feelings of fear... And insecurity jump in. Maybe, just like the athlete, maybe if I train just a little harder, maybe the church member that says, maybe if I read one more Bible verse, or maybe if I can pray just a little bit better, or a job, if I could just hold on and do this one more thing, the boss will notice me. Or if I can do this one more thing in this relationship, this person will love me. If I can do this one more, if I can do this, it will all work out. I know if I can just do this one thing. What's the problem with that? It's the one word. It's called, well, actually, it's a letter, I. When we try to say that I can do this, we are shutting out God from the process. And if you want to learn more about these traps, there's a book called Search for Significance by Robert S. McGee, and it goes into great details of these and more. It's a phenomenal book and a phenomenal study, and I cannot recommend it highly enough. But having a victim mentality holds the victim back. It prevents them from making progress. Think about this. If we play the victim card and we feel like that we are being taken advantage of, we retreat into our own little prison. I think we call that a pity party. You know, the pity party where that's the worst kind of party to have because no one shows up and there's no food. Okay? And, hey, listen. Let's be honest. Come on. Let's be totally honest, church. We all have had pity parties at one time or another. Maybe some of you are in the middle of one right now. Woohoo! Have fun! But hopefully you're going to get through that because we can only play the victim card so long until where when we, you know, oh, this sin, woo! It's just take, I mean, I just cannot handle this sin. You know what? You're right. You can't. But God can. But the problem is that the church, as individuals, we are not taking our sin seriously. If we have things in our lives, we say, well, it was my upbringing. Well, it was because this friend did this. Well, it was because my friends I hang around did that. And it's all everybody else's fault. Folks, no one makes you and I sin. It is our choice to do so. Whether you are lost, whether you are saved, when we sin, it is a choice That we make. But John teaches us a secret. The secret to victory over sin is found in 1 John 1, chapter 1, verse 7, where it says that we must walk in the light. And he spends the rest of his his letter fleshing that out. And we see that what does it look like to walk 
in the light? How can I no longer be a victim to sin and taste victory? Well, we see in 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 through 2, that sin does not have to be our master. Sin does not have to be our master. Do you believe that? Say it with me. Sin does not have to be our master. We can have victory over sin. Is it easy? No. It will be the hardest battle you can ever fight. But God promises that he is with us. Let's look at the first two verses in chapter 2. It says, my little children. When, he, when John starts off with my little children, he's not saying the equivalent of, oh, bless your little heart. That's not what he's saying. When he says, my little children, this is written, John is up in age at this time when he's writing this. And he's talking about to all of the people that he has mentored, all of the churches that he's been in. Remember, this man has got battle scars. He has walked with Jesus. He has seen Jesus crucified. He has seen Jesus risen. He has seen persecution. And as he draws to the end of his life, he's saying, my dear children, that would be like you talking to your children or grandchildren saying, please listen to me when I say this. He says, my little children, I am writing you these things that you may not sin. What he says when he says that you may not sin, he's saying that you do not have to sin. Why do we sin? Because we want to. Because we feel good. You get one of those chocolate cakes in front of you, and if you're on a diet... Sin's around the corner, right? <laughs> Had a uh, minister of music one time. Every time, you know, he was struggling with weight a little bit. And every time we'd have some kind of covered dish thing, he'd say, Oh, Satan, get behind me and push all the way to the dessert tray. But whether it be an eating thing or whether it be a habit or whether it be a thought life or whether it be an action, we all have a, a, a choice to sin or to not sin, do we not? But sin does not have to be our master because it says here that you don't have to let it be your master. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Jesus Christ is our advocate. Underline that or, or focus on that word. And then also it says in verse 2, He Himself is the propitiation for our sins. And not only for ours, but also for those of the whole world. Do not be dismayed and do not be discouraged and do not be confused. The blood type of Jesus Christ is not A, O negative. It is everyone. Jesus' blood covers everyone. He is a propitiation for everyone. So we see that sin does not have to be the master. We see in Jesus' work that he offers reassurance to the guilty. Who's the one that accuses us? Well, Satan is our accuser. Satan is our accuser. You can see in Revelations 12.10 where it blatantly says that if God is not the author of confusion, listen, if you are being beat down and told, listen, every time I get up in this pulpit, you might think, oh, oh man, this is like angels are right behind me pushing me, right? No. When, when I get into a church, or when I get into settings where I have to speak before people, Satan always tries to remind me of why I'm not worthy to be here. He might do that with you in church. There are people that will not go to church because they do not like the feeling of knowing that they are being accused. It might come out in a different excuse, but the bottom line is, is that Satan is our accuser. 
But praise God, Jesus is our advocate. Jesus is our defender. When Satan says, you are lousy, you are a sinner, you are worthless, and you, you, you are a fake, and you can't do anything. When he looks at you with that pointy little finger, and he accuses you, Jesus steps up in the court and says, I'm taking that blame. You can accuse, but this one is mine. By him being our advocate, he advocates for us to the Father. It doesn't mean that we are perfect, but when judgment day comes, he is going to say, I represent this man. He is to go free. That's the advocate. Well, what paid the price? His blood did because he was the propitiation. God is a loving God, but yet he takes sin seriously because he is a holy God. And by propitiation, it means that Jesus Christ took that penalty. Woo! Does that get you excited? I hope, I hope you have not lost the excitement in your faith to know that you were lost as a ball as a ball in tall weeds and going to hell. And Jesus' blood was shed for you so that you can be free. That when you deserve hell, He says, no, He's with me. She's with me. Because I am their advocate. He is your advocate today. And He is your propitiation. He paid the price. You do not have to sin because I want you to be reassured that Jesus is your advocate, that he is your propitiation. And by him being the propitiation, Jesus' death satisfied not only the requirement of sin, but the removal of sin. The Bible says that when our sin and God coexist and we confess it, God says he chooses to remember it no more. Now, <laughs> here's the rub with that. That doesn't mean that when we confess our sin, God goes, oh, he just gets, you know, a little bit of amnesia there. He just doesn't forget about it. It says he chooses to remember the sin no more. So that means sinner, and I'm talking to myself, when we sin, we can be forgiven. God chooses not to remember that sin, so should you. You are not that same person anymore than when you confessed. You are not that same person from the time that you received Christ. You are different. And quit going back to that because God says, I'm choosing not to remember it, so you need to do the same thing. Don't play the victim card. Move on. Why? Because Jesus gives gives us that reassurance. We sin because we choose to, and we choose to be a victim, even though Jesus Christ has given us the victory. But now... That's only for those that are Christians. For the lost, they sin because they do not know any better. They do not have the light. And so we must tell those that are lost in the darkness how to find light, how to find Jesus Christ, to to say, you are no longer... You look at people that, that obviously reject the Lord and don't know the Lord, and you say, how can they do that? They're walking in darkness, and they are lost. And we need to go find them, take them by the hand, and bring them to our master. So, that comes to the point, as he's writing to the the, the Christians here, and he wants them to know that they know that they know that they're a Christian. And so I'm going to ask you this morning, how do you really know that you are that you are a Christian? Now, the, the, person, the purpose of this is not to doubt your salvation, but I do want you to evaluate it in light with what John says, because there are people, even in this room right now, that have walked the aisle, prayed a prayer, took the preacher by the hand, 
and, and done everything, that's, maybe even joined the church, but their life has been no different. And there is no fellowship. There is no desire to read God's Word. There is no desire to pray. There is no working of the Holy Spirit in your life. If that is you, you prayed a prayer, and that was it, folks. How do you know that you are a Christian? Well, it says right here, the faith check number one is that we meditate on God's Word. Not just read it, but meditate on God's Word. Let's look at verses 3 and 4. Verses 3 and 4 say, This is how we are sure that we have come to know Him. By keeping His commands. The one who says, I have come to know Him without keeping His commands is a what? A liar. Liar, liar, pants on fire. And it says, the truth is not within them. Folks, if the Word does not resonate in our life, the truth is not within us. We see here that we cannot have a godly life Without examination. But if we examine something, we need to make sure that we have the right measurements, right? Well, our task is not to boast our sagging spirits with psychological self-assurances. William Hull said that. But to examine ourselves, to test ourselves, to determine if why we are holding fast, while if we are holding fast to the Certainties. What basically he is saying is that if we say that we are a Christian, we must examine ourselves and not explain it away. How many talk shows do you have to watch? How many false prophets do you have to listen to that will explain away your sin and explain away hell and, and make you feel like that you're fine on your own? You are not. You are a sinner in need of God's grace and God's love. And the only way to know that is to examine your life and to measure your life, not with the person sitting beside you, not with the talking head on the TV, not with your Facebook wall, but with the Word of God. This is our measurement. What happens when we don't measure it correctly? Let me show you a picture. This is Allen High School football stadium. It's amazing, is it not? It, uh, this is a $60 million football stadium at Allen High School. Now, this is in Texas. Friday Night Lights, you know. Football is big in Texas. And it opened in 2012. And it will be closed for games this fall due to a small little problem. The concrete and the structures that are supporting it have cracks in them. And they are afraid that if people get into that stadium and start doing the wave, the stadium is going to come down. I don't know if they're going to do the wave or not, but there's cracks. Someone along the way didn't take the right measurements. Somewhere along the way, someone said, this will be good enough. Someone along the way checked the consistency of the concrete and said, this will do. What were they measuring it to? It must not have been up to specifications because it is failing. Folks, when you and I measure our lives up to anything other than God's Word, our lives will be shut down. And you wonder why your life is shut down. Are you applying these principles or what everybody else is telling you? Listen, you can have good, godly friends that are going to give you advice. You can come to me and we can counsel and we can talk and we can pray. But at the end of the day, it's going to be your choice to read this and to follow this to find victory over sin. Until you do that, you will be a victim. 
And you know what? Satan will keep on doing that until he's done with you. Then he'll discard you and go to the next person. Well, the first thing is we need to meditate on God's word. The second thing we need to do, the second faith check, is that we actually, before that, let me tell you something. Um, Faking the Christian life only makes us a liar. It says that in verse 4. It's kind of like there was a dog in the yard. Little Billy was looking out of the yard. They had a, a bit, the neighbor had a big collie dog. Have you heard this story? Uh, it had a big collie dog, and every year that collie, the owner would actually shave the dog to where uh, there, there was no hair on it except there would be like around the head, there would be a big, a big um, like mane, and then at the back of the tail, there was a little piece of hair. Well, little Billy was outside one day, and uh, he saw that collie, and he said, Lion in the yard! Lion in the yard! There's a lion in the yard! Well, little Billy's dad scolded him and said, Boy, what I tell you about lying, if I punished you before for lying, I'll be glad to do it again. Now go upstairs to your room for 30 minutes and talk to God and see what he says about it. And so, well, the boy came back down after about 30 minutes. And the father asked and said, son, do you feel God has sufficiently forgiven you? And little Billy said, uh-huh. In fact, God talked to me. But dad said, well, let me hear it. What did God tell you? And little Billy said, God told me at first he thought I was a lion as well. Well, he wasn't lying. That is a, an old Jerry Clower joke. Now, he probably told it a lot better than I did. But the, the fact is, is that sometimes we try to, to agree, you know, kind of make God come to our understanding of what truth is. But if we try to make God understand our truth, that is a lie. When we let sin ruin our lives, we are liars. And so we have to have God's Word in our life. But what are the top five excuses, you think, for not reading the Bible? Well, here's a few of them. Number one, it's going to take too much time and effort. You ever watch the show Gold Rush? Well, basically, it's a reality show about these guys that are trying to dig for gold. They dig everywhere they can, in the jungle, in Alaska, you know, you name it, they're going to dig. What keeps them digging? You know, episode after episode, they think they hit pay dirt and they never find it. What keeps them digging? They eventually find gold. You might not feel like it's worth the effort to really jump in and study the Bible. If you don't, you will never find the gold that God has for you in your life. If your spiritual walk is based off of what I tell you once a week, you're in trouble. You've got to find it for yourselves. You've got to take the effort. Think about your relationships with your families and your best friends. What kind of relationship are you going to have if you never work on it? We've got to work on our relationship with the Lord. The second thing is, I've read it before and all i got were a list of people's names. Well, I would say if you read that and you see where it says so-and-so begat so-and-so and it goes on like that, keep reading. Because... If you keep reading, you'll find stories about David. You'll find stories about Goliath, about Rahab. You will see everything from, it, it will make you blush. It'll make this, these modern day, um, what do you call them, Not soap operas? It makes them look pale in comparison to what you find in the Bible. The Bible is a beautiful book of how God deals with his people. Also, you might say, I don't have anywhere to start. Well, probably the best place to start is somewhere. 
You can start at Genesis. I tell people that are new in the faith to start in the book of John and turn right. And keep going. And when you get to Revelation, skip over that because it's really going to mess with you. Get, get, some, get, some, uh, get some footing and then, we'll, <coughs> excuse me, and then we'll tackle that. But folks, how do you start? Ask a friend to hold you accountable. Look on the internet and find a Bible reading plan. Download an app for your phone or your, your tablet that has Bible reading plans on it. There's so many opportunities to do that. Also, you might say, well, I'd read the Bible, but it's boring. You ever heard that one? How many of y'all read the paper? A good bit of you, right? How many of y'all always start at the first page? A few of you. How many of y'all don't start at the first page? You've got a, a section that you go to, okay? Most of the time, older folks, they look for obituaries. And they find out who died. Make sure my name's not in there. Did I know so-and-so? Then you get on the phone. Hey, did you know so-and-so pass away? No, there was... And it just, it's amazing to hear y'all talk about that. I mean, it's like... It's like you open the paper and go, whew, I'm not in there. I'm, it's a good day. Some of you some of you like, what? Let me get that sports page. Let me see what's going on with my Braves, you know, or whatever else you're following. Go straight to the sports page. Some of you, maybe the class, the classifieds. Where's the yard sales going to be this weekend? You know, you go to the paper. Some of you are a front page your meeting. You start at the front and you work your way back. Some of you go for your section, just like... On the internet, you know, so if you don't read the paper, you have stories, you, you Google a search or whatever you do, and you get up all these lists of what you're looking for, you pick the one that interests you. Do the same thing with this. If you're getting bogged down in the names of the so-and-so begat so-and-so, or you, you know, you're going through the book of numbers and you don't understand what those numbers mean, move on, find something else that interests you. It's as simple as looking in the back of your Bible and finding a topic and reading on it. Jump in somewhere. Just jump in. Well, also we see that people might say, I, every, I already know everything it says. Well, excuse me. If you know everything it says in the Bible, then please give me your secrets. Because when we say that we know everything it says in the Bible, what we're saying, is, what we're saying by that is saying, I've got God figured out. And that's a dangerous place to be. Well, the second faith check we see is that not only do we meditate on God's word, but we live out God's word. In verses 5 and 6, it says, But whoever keeps his word truly in him, the love of God is perfected. This is how we know we are in him. The one who says he remains in him should walk just as he walked. Folks, our actions are validation to our salvation. Our actions are the validation of our salvation. If you are here this morning and you wonder, well, I don't know if the preacher's talking to me or not. I don't know. You know, I've, I've, I've prayed to receive Christ, but I've I'm backslidden and I'm just really not sure. Take the actions of your life. Are the actions that you are producing, are they those of someone that has God in their lives? Or is it of someone who does not? Because our actions are validations of our salvation. John reminds us in verse uh, chapter 2, verse 1, he says, We do not have to sin, it is a choice. 
But also, in verse 5, it says perfected, that, that we are perfected. That doesn't mean that we become perfect, but that means that the work that Christ has done is made complete when we accept Him and we begin to live for Him. But the word I also love in here is remain, and I believe we talked a little bit about this last week, but remain means to dwell, to live with. I was telling our, our Sunday school class this morning that, um, you know, what if, what if you had to move someone into your house, maybe a parent or someone, someone that was needy, and you put them into a room, maybe you add a room to your house, and you put them in that room, but you never go to see them. That's not remaining. That's not abiding. But too many times people have said, yep, I'm a Christian. We'll put them in this box right here. All right, I'm going to open this every Sunday, Lord, because I love you so much. I'm going to be a Christian on Sunday. But Monday through Saturday, I'm going to handle that. You got it? I, you know, I, I love what you give me. I love being able to pray and, and ask for you to heal people and for, for you to make everything better. But I'll be with you on Sunday, but the rest of the week I'm going to do my thing. It doesn't work like that. That's not dwelling. That's not remaining. We live out God's Word. That's how we know that we are Christian, because Christ dwells deep within us. If we are walking in the light... It will show in the steps that we take. If we are walking in the light, it will show in the steps that we take. So practical applications for that would be Jesus loves, so we are to love. Jesus forgives, we are to forgive. Jesus suffers, we are going to suffer. The scripture makes it very clear that Christians will be recipients of unjust treatment. That we will be persecuted because of our faith and the godly lives that we are to live in this sinful world. What's the old adage I used to say? If you're walking with the devil, you'll never hear from him. But if you walk against him, you'll hit up against him every single time. If your Christian life is very comfortable, let me ask you why. While the Bible promises that we will experience innocent suffering for the cause of Christ, it nowhere speaks about us being victims. What if Paul would have been in prison and said, Oh God, I can't believe you did this. We wouldn't have what we have today. What if Jesus says, you know... (laughs) I didn't do anything to start with. Now you want me to die on the cross for him? You've got to be crazy. Now, I'm the one that's hurting here. He didn't do that. He was not a victim. He was a victor. And just as Jesus is glorified, one day, folks, we will be glorified. If we truly are Christians and our actions are showing it, It'll see, we will see that in our families. Husbands will love your wives. Wives will love your husbands. Families will get along. Children will love their parents and respect them because you love them. If you love Jesus, others will see it. Well, in closing, God is inviting you and I all here today to a higher level of a dependency upon Him. He wants you and I to live in the victory of His grace, not the shame of sin. Listen, if you are a Christian, you can live in victory because you do not have to let sin be your master. 
If you are not a Christian, you have no hope of getting out of sin, and you are a victim to sin until you accept Jesus Christ, because He is your advocate, and He is your propitiation. He has paid the debt for your sin. Don't settle for a lifeless religious walk. It's not about attending church. It's about loving God, reading His Word, and keeping His Word. Don't make excuses for the reason your relationship with God is not where you want it to be. If it's not where you want it to be, it's not His fault. Because He gave everything so that we can be with Him. God already proved His love for us by sending the Son, Jesus, to die on the cross. We must prove our love for Him. Quit being a victim this morning. Quit giving Satan the victory. God has given you the victory over sin today if you simply take it. If you are a Christian in here today and would say that my walk is not where it needs to be and I've been playing the victim card, I'll give you a nice warm soliloquy on how to finish that. Stop! Stop! But if you do not know Christ as your Savior and Lord, or you do not believe that He is truly in your lives, you have to accept Him and let Him come into your life and change your life. Because only through Him do we have victory. If you'd like to receive Christ today, or if you'd like prayer, or would like to join this church, please stand during this time of invitation and come forward.